Hey everyone, Christine here, and I wanted to be sure you knew about an important change happening with the Mental Hope Project. You may have noticed some changes with the graphics and the titles of the podcast episodes. Well, I'm pleased to announce that after much prayer and counsel from trusted friends, I have decided to update the name to the Hope and Help Project. This change accomplishes a few different things for the show. First, it mimics the aim of my ministry, which is to provide gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems. Second, the new title allows me to offer a wider variety of interviews for topics that are of interest to my listeners. The show will continue to cultivate compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems, and I truly believe God has guided me to this new branding in order to serve you, the listener, in truth and love. Thank you all for the overwhelming support of the podcast show thus far. I'm thankful to have been invited into your journey of faith through life's hard seasons, and I look forward to the hope and help God has in store for all of us through the interviews we have on the show. If you have questions or feedback about this change, please visit my website, faithfulsparrow.com, to contact me. And as always, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. Continue to spread the word about the show by letting your friends and family know about it. Thanks so much for your support and for tuning in to this brief announcement. Bye. You know, it won't always feel this way. I think I must have started saying that to myself at some point. Lisa, it won't always feel this way. And just knowing that what I feel today is part of the process. I have to walk through that darkness. Hey friends, welcome to the Mental Hope Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about challenging mental health topics. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm so glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with writer and author Lisa Apollo. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to walk through seasons of grief, some of the unexpected challenges that arise when mourning the loss of a loved one, and some practical spiritual and physical steps for wading through our sorrows. Before Lisa and I dive in, I want to let you know that you can learn more about the Mental Hope Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash mental hope. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the show, as well as view links to other interviews we've produced on a variety of mental health topics. All right, so let's get started. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Christine. I appreciate it. Lisa, would you take a few moments and introduce yourself to the audience, share a little bit about your background? Sure. I am um, a single mom of seven and a widow. Um, I write and speak from that perspective and um, also teach a ladies Bible class at my church. So those are the, those are the big things that keep me busy. Would you tell us a little bit more about your story and how grief has impacted you and your family? Yes. Um, I married my high school sweetheart. We actually met in seventh grade at church. So we have just, I just cannot even, I have so many memories. Um, they go way back with him. And um, it was a typical summer about seven years ago. And um, we had been very intentional that summer to do a lot of things together as a family at the beginning because my oldest was heading off to um to uh, be a counselor at camp and anyway one night we you know went to bed we got pizza 
sent the kids off to bed. I said goodnight to him like I had a thousand other nights. And somewhere in the dark early morning hours, I heard some funny breathing. And I thought he was just having a nightmare. And so I kind of in my own sleep just kind of reached out and um, nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare. And then I woke up more from his breathing and realized this was not just a nightmare and flipped on the overhead light. And I could see immediately um, that something was very wrong. And so, you know, we went through all the steps. We immediately did CPR. We called 911. The paramedics are, are right outside of our neighborhood. They were there within minutes. I thought, okay, good. He's in good hands. And um, they took him to the hospital, to the emergency room. I followed. And um, I, I could tell when I walked into the ER, it was very still dark out. And um, there was not a rush of activity I could, I, I feel like I was the only one in the, in the waiting room, which was unusual. But soon enough, the doctor called me back to that room that you don't want to go in, the counseling room, and said very gently that they had done everything they could and that they were not ever able to revive him. And so that was it, that my world, it, it affected, it has affected every part of our world. And um, in that moment, life collapsed as I knew it. I'm so sorry that you had to walk through something like that. It's just heartbreaking to hear how that unfolded for you and, and your husband and your family. What were some of the challenges you faced early on in your grief experience, especially because it was so sudden? You know, it didn't sound like it was something, you know, you knew that you saw coming around the corner. So were there some unexpected ways that it affected you that you were not prepared to deal with? All of grief was, was I was not prepared for. Um, I had never had any kind of loss like that. And um, I remember saying to some friends on that first day, I'm going to need books. I'm going to need books. Like that would, they would be my, my guide through this. And so I think all, the only thing I had to draw from was like cultural myths and maybe assumptions that I had about grief, um, which I found grief to be very different than the way we sometimes think it should be. I think one of the things though, along in my grief journey that really caught me short was despair. I had never been, um, I had gone through small little depressions like after I moved one time and I felt isolated from my friends. I remember going through a really kind of desert period. Um, but the darkness of despair, of having no hope for the future. I mean, I, I had hope because it was clinging to God's word, but I couldn't, but, but it was only in my head. I could not feel it. There was no emotion in me. I could not picture the future. It was a black hole that I could not even imagine what, what would fill it. And, um, and it, that black there, that, that despair didn't just stay and hover. It came and went. Um, so well into grief, even I would say maybe three years into grief, there were weeks where something would trigger it and I would go back into despair and I would have to go back to God's word to just cling to when I didn't feel it. You know, I think walking through grief often means experiencing the entire gamut of human emotions. I know that's been my personal experience. I lost my father to cancer in 2011. And so it's been some time, but it's still, as you said, it can come out of nowhere, uh, just the despair or the sorrow about the loss of, of the loved one that we miss so dearly. Uh, do you ever feel guilty about experiencing 
particular feelings associated with grief that maybe somehow by experiencing, you know, feelings such as anger or depression or doubts that somehow you're lacking in, in faith? That's actually a really good question. Um, I'm not sure I felt guilty, but I wondered if I should have been doing better than I was because again, that the cultural assumption and, and I, you know, day one of Dan passing away, I thought, we'll get over this. This is something to get over, to move past, to move through. And um, that's how naive I was about grief. Um, and so when, um, when I was in year three and year four, and I was still, you know, life was, was a much, I didn't have that physical pain of grief. It wasn't that raw ache of grief, but grief had changed and it was still there and it would still come in certain times and periods. And um, I think I thought many times maybe I should be doing better. Um, but I think I've been a student of grief. I will say that since Dan passed away, I have really not so much a student of grief of like reading all the books, but, but observing people who are going through grief observing what they're saying on their social media, observing how they're reacting. Years later, I see people post about this time of year about their mother that they miss. And so just seeing the reality has given me permission to say, this is God made us in such a way that we will forever miss that, that relationship. That love has never gone away. It's just the strangest thing with grief because the love doesn't end. The day you lose somebody, you love them just as much as you ever did. It's just that there's no way to express that love to them. They're not there. And so you're learning to live with that love without the loved one. And we never really get to a point where we can say it doesn't affect us. Um, it, it's less. It's, it doesn't physically hurt as much. But we always miss that loved one. So I, I don't think I felt guilty. I also never went through anger. And I know that was very common. I read books that said this was a stage that I would likely go through. I think that it's that if somebody is going through anger, who's listening to this, I think you need to not feel guilty about that. Understand that that is the, that is an emotion that God gave you. And it's, it's a sign of something happening in you. It's not something to feel guilty about. It's what we do with the anger. And so I think for every emotion, I know I had a, a tremendous fear, tremendous, like I said, despair, all of those emotions, just take every single one of them to, to the Lord. But I, I didn't feel guilty about it. I just, I just needed to understand better what grief was. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense with what you're talking about. You know, I think sometimes, too, even as we're trying to cope with these overwhelming emotions that we maybe didn't see coming, you know, we turn to the people around us for comfort, and sometimes we don't necessarily find it. Were there things that people said to you as you were grappling with these these emotions and these feelings that were helpful or encouraging? And I guess on the flip side of that, were there things that people said to you during your, during, you know, your grief recovery that, you know, maybe they meant it to be helpful, but were actually unhelpful or even hurtful? I think that first of all, we need to have grace in all of grief. We need to have grace. Um, in our family, there were, I had seven children that were grieving and we were, I, I said it from the very beginning, we need to have grace with each other because we all grieve differently. Um, and that grace reminded me to have, um, to have, you know, to understand the place that people were coming from when they said something that they didn't mean to be hurtful. Um, 
But I think the one thing that, that is said often that, that can hurt is I understand. I understand what you're going through because my great aunt died, or I understand what you're going through because my um, husband was deployed for 18 months and I was worried that he'd never come home. Those, even to other widows, I don't say I understand because I don't. We all come from different places of um, experience. Our marriages were different. There might have been unseen hurts in that marriage that now that that woman or that spouse is going to have to work through. So I think just just you know shelving that phrase. We mean it to be compassionate, but but we don't understand. And just instead saying I am sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss and I am praying for you. And I think the thing that was the most tender to me was when somebody said, I love you. I am praying for you. Now you can't always say that it has to be a good friend of yours, but I cannot tell you how many friends and believers said to me in the weeks and months after, I love you. I am praying for you. And uh, when you have suffered a significant loss, um, hearing somebody say, I love you is just, was for me, very healing. That's really encouraging just because at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want to hear when we're, if, whether we're struggling with grief or with depression or with some other kind of mental, you know, health issue is that we're loved. Is that yes. we're loved in spite of our sorrow, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our grief, in spite of our pains. And, you know, human love is, is can only take us so far. You know, that, that human love, it, it's, it feels good when someone gives it to us through a hug or a kind word or an encouragement. But ultimately, we've got to turn to the Lord and his eternal love for us, because that is the love that is going to satisfy those big black holes you were talking about that are left, you know, from the loss of our loved one. Um, yeah. God and, you know, Jesus is going to step into those holes and it doesn't take the holes away, but he is going to fill them with his love and his comfort over that's time. Exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Let's go ahead and talk about, I think, something that is fairly common um, or at least it was in my experience, I'm not sure about yours, but sometimes during the grief process, um, doubts arise, especially when we lose someone unexpectedly. You know, what kinds of questions do you think those who are grieving wrestle with as they mourn the loss of a loved one, you know, as it relates to God's faithfulness or God's care and sovereignty? Um, I think that doubt is very common and I think we can say why that's a very typical response is to say, why, why would you do this? Um, especially for the believer who, who thinks, but I was, I was devout, um, but we had a great marriage, but we were, we had so much ministry that we were doing. I think those are very, I, I will actually say legitimate questions. I would not be one to say like, don't ever ask that question. I think that again, we're, it's okay to ask the question. We just take it to the Lord and we lay it at his feet and he may never answer that. We may never get the answer to that, but just taking it to the right person, um, to, to God allows him to comfort us. I think people can wrestle with, um, with suffering. Why is there suffering? I know for me, I, uh, God had prepared me in this, um, years earlier. I did not even of course know that he was giving me a theology of suffering, building that in me. Um, 
But I distinctly remember drawing on sermons that I had heard about why we suffer. Why do we go through suffering in this world? Because we live in a broken world and because there is sin. And so um, the believer is not immune to that. I mean, we don't get a pass just because we are followers of Christ. In fact, he says, you will have suffering. He tells us that. And so we don't wait for the other shoe to drop, but we're also not surprised that we live in a broken world. I know I said to my kids um, in those first few weeks, um, I was able to say to them, talk to them about suffering and why we have suffering. And I remember saying to them, well, at first I wanted to say, this is the hardest thing you'll ever have to go through. And as those words formed on my lips, I realized I can't promise them that. I mean, my youngest was four, but they have a lot of life. I can't promise them that this is the hardest thing they'll ever go through. And so I said to them, this, this is not normal. You know, they were children. I didn't know if they had any kind of understanding about that. But anyway, I, I said, this is not normal. And we talked about life and we talked about how short this life is. But I, I told them just that, that we don't get a pass from suffering, but that they had an opportunity that most people their age never get. And that is that if they would look to God, if they would anchor their grief in God, that they would see him in ways they never would have otherwise seen. I hope that's true of my children, that one day they'll be able to say it was it was brutal losing my father at six and at 17 and a 12-year-old young boy. But I was able to see God work in my family in ways that we never would have otherwise seen. Well, amen for that. And I, I love what you said about doubts and just bringing them to the Lord, because I, I agree. I think our doubts, you know, I think we go through all the scriptures and see broken people God used to spread his message and to be prophets and kings, you know, wrestle with doubts from one time or another. And so it, doubts are occasions to come to God with our questions uh, if if we choose to, or doubts are occasions to harden our hearts towards God and begin to, you know, really let that root of bitterness take a hold uh, of our heart when, when we are not getting the answers that we want or that the answers that we're getting are not satisfactory, not what we're right. looking for. God likely will not answer those questions, that question, why? Um, but what he does is he gives us his presence. And that is enough. When you are broken, whatever it is, whether it's a financial collapse in your life or, or grief as we've gone through, God's presence is enough. And that's difficult to, to explain to somebody who's not a believer. But um, it's not, you know, he doesn't answer with giving us his list of reasons of why this was rational in our world. But he answers us with the gift of himself. And that has to be enough. That's a really important point. Thank you for, for including that. You're absolutely right. Well, let's take a moment now to talk a little bit more about the practical side of grief recovery. Um, what do you think are some practical steps someone could take for addressing the spiritual components of their journey through grief and then also addressing the physical components? There were two things that were, were critical. The number one thing I did was getting into God's word daily. And, you know, I had been a, I had been a Christian for a long time um, and I had been in Bible studies. I had, um, you know, tried to do daily Bible studies. Sometimes I was better at it than at other times. But when Dan died, I needed it like I before I need like I needed food. I mean, I 
needed time with God and I needed God's word. Like I said, I was in despair. And the only thing that I needed to do was to go to God. And so I would get up every morning, I would kind of get my kids settled. And then I would go off by myself. I would get in my my minivan and drive down the road a little bit. And I would journal. I would, I would cry out to God in lament. I would tell him every single day, I would write in all caps, bold at the top of my journal, this is too hard. I cannot do this. Not just my grief, but the thought of raising seven children to adulthood by myself was just, just daunting. And every day I would give him that, all of that emotion. And then I would open my Bible and I didn't hunt for certain verses. I didn't look up, you know, certain topics. I was actually, Dan had been reading through the Bible in a year. Our church was doing that. And so I hadn't done it. I was doing another Bible study, but when he died, I picked up his schedule and I just opened up to that day and I began reading whatever the reading was for that day. It might've been in, in, in Malachi, it might've been in Matthew, but whatever the reading was, I would do that. And it was incredible how God would speak to me so vividly exactly what I needed for that day. It was, it was always a reminder of who he was, of his character, of his promises, of how he cares for us, how he deals with mankind. And it was always enough for me to, to, to have enough hope for that day. And then I had to go back the next day and do it. It wasn't like I could, you know, store it up for the week. I had to go back the next day and do it. So practically, I would say, make sure that the number one thing that is speaking into your life is God's word, that God is speaking into your life louder than any book or or any person, and that you let him do this great exchange, I call it, where you give him your emotion and he gives you his truth. And then the second thing I would say that was very practical and helped me was keeping a gratitude list. Again, I had never done that. But when the world looks so hard and when the worst, one of the worst things I could hap- think of had happened to us, I needed to see good. And so, and, and, and the thing is, is in the midst of our heart, God stands out in relief. It's almost like I could see his hand more clearly. And I didn't want to forget that. And so I began to keep a gratitude list. And every day I would force myself to look back over the day before and think about small ways, very personal ways, but also big things God had done. And um, I still keep that gratitude list. And I think both of those things in tandem, filling myself every day with God's truth, and then also looking for the good in the midst of our hard, were just anchors for us, for, for me. The other thing is that grief is so it, it affects our emotions. It, it affects us mentally, cognitively. It affects um, us physically. And I remember um, totally losing my appetite. I don't think I ate for maybe four or five days after Dan died. And I, my stomach growled and I could have cared less. I mean, the pain of grief was way worse than my stomach hurting. I didn't, I, I didn't have, I lost all my passions, all my interests. I did sleep well. A lot of people have a lot of trouble with sleep. And I will say this, um, if you're having trouble sleeping, I would kind of get myself really tired. Um, I would stay up and do things. And I also was physically active during the day. I would always try to get out and either run or walk. Sometimes I didn't have the energy to run, but just get out and walk because I knew I needed those endorphins. Um, to kind of help my emotions. And I, I'm not like some super athlete at all. It's just that I know, I knew I needed that. Um, but I had friends when they asked what they could do, 
I would give them a very specific thing to pray for. And so I had a couple friends that were specifically praying for my sleep. And I think that really helped me. Um, I was able to sleep, you know, getting up out of bed in the morning is hard. I think, you, you know, for me, I had small children I had to take care of. I had to show up for them. I remember thinking to myself, they've already lost one parent. They cannot lose two. And I didn't fake it. It wasn't like I showed up all cheery and all happy. I mean, they saw me cry and we talked about it. It was part of our day grieving together. But I still had to show up and get up in the morning and meet the tasks that that day. Uh, Tell us about the importance of remaining connected to the body of Christ while walking through grief. Was it hard for you to attend church after the passing of your husband? And, you know, what ways was your fellowship and worship impacted during that time? It was not hard for me to to go. I think that, you know, it may change for some people. They may want to slip into the back because they don't want to have to talk to, to people or explain to people or answer questions. We definitely took a few weeks off, but then we were back. And for me, worship was incredibly, it felt like every sermon he wrote just for me. I mean, there was so much, again, I was so needy. I was in the place of, I was so broken. And when we're in that place, God, you know, there was so much God is doing in us. The other thing was that worship, for the first time, I understood the full body of Christ. I When I pictured the body of Christ before, I'd always knew it, you know, it was included people across the oceans that are in other churches and in other countries and other cultures that are worshiping. But now for the first time, I understood the full body of Christ includes also those who've gone on before us. The full body of Christ goes all the way back to those first believers. And so my husband, when he passed away, was now worshiping at the feet of Christ. And I cannot tell you, even now I do this sometimes, just, you know, sitting there and listening to these um, songs being sung and then picturing in my mind what it must be like, me this side of heaven worshiping and him that side of heaven worshiping face to face with Christ was very healing for me. Worship music definitely gets our minds off of us and gets our mind focused on God. And that is critical because when we're grieving, naturally we're so self-focused because there's so much we have to process, but we need to find ways to get our mind off of us and onto God and even onto others. So going to church was very helpful for us. You know, helping somebody through grief is too much for any one person. And sometimes we're, we don't want to reach out to somebody because we think it's too big of a problem to fix. But it really does take the whole body of Christ, every every person doing a little bit. And so, you know, people praying for us, somebody bringing something for my children. Um, I We had men who stepped up and were doing stuff with our children, with my children. And that was very healing, just seeing them love on us. Right before Christmas, I was in the shower and I was just so, I was not feeling good. And I had gotten in the early shower to get them my pajamas really early. And my kids came and knocked on the door and they're like, mom, mom, come here, come here. There's people outside. And my hair is like wet. I'm like throwing on clothes. I go outside and there they had set up tables on my front yard and they had stockings filled with things for my kids. And they were singing Christmas carols to us. So this was about six weeks, six months after my husband passed away. And it was just things like that that just continued to um, just shower us with love and just be little pieces of the puzzle of healing. 
Do you think there is a temptation either from within ourselves or through pressures from other people to hurry past our grief and just, you know, just get over it already? What do you think about that? I do. I think that um, a lot of people want to stuff their grief because it is just so painful to go there. And so they stuff it and they don't address it. I think that some people feel like they need to get over it quickly. Or I think, too, the third thing is, is that people can try to find some other thing to fill that grief, whether it's activity, they stay really busy, they travel a lot, they just try to find the fun to kind of medicate that that grief. And I think that we need to be okay with that. We're not going to move. I always say we can either deal with grief on our terms now or it's going to come back to us on its terms later. But we have to process it. And I think what I mean by process it is we have to allow ourselves to feel it, to feel the loss, to feel the missing and the lack, but then also to end every every sentence. Like I go to God and I would say, this is too hard, but I trust you. I miss him so much, but I trust you. And I may not have been saying that audibly, but I, I think every thought was was finished with, but I trust you. Well, we're just about out of our time for today. And so I want to give you the opportunity to speak directly to the audience. It's something I do in every episode of the Mental Hope Project. So, you know, there may be someone listening who is currently walking through a season of grief and loss. Maybe they feel tempted to, to stuff away their feelings for fear of wrestling with their doubts and questions. Or perhaps they're hearing a lot of unhelpful slogans from harmful comforters who think they ought to be over it by now. What would you say to that person to give them courage to face the journey ahead? Um, I would say two things. One is that God is a God of lament. And we have only to open the Psalms to see that, that David spent a good part of his life lamenting to God. And God received that. So lament, allow yourself to do that, whether you write it, whether you speak it, whether you pray it, allow yourself to, to uh, mourn what's been lost. And then the second thing is that God's grace saves us, but God's grace also sustains us. God is a sustaining God. And so I have just known that it is his grace alone that has sustained me when I didn't feel, you know, when I wasn't feeling it, when I couldn't see it, when I could only cling to his truth and his promises um, in the dark, that it was God's grace that was sustaining us through that. You know, it won't always feel this way. I think I must have started saying that to myself at some point. Lisa, it won't always feel this way. And just knowing that what I feel today is part of the process. I have to walk through that darkness, but it won't always feel this way. And if I continue taking steps forward, that I'll wake up one day and realize I'm smiling. I'm looking for, I'm making a plan for the future. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I hopped out of bed this morning. Well, those are really encouraging words. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing. I want to let you have the opportunity to give the audience your contact information. So where can they go to find you to stay connected with your writing ministry? 
great. I would um, love to stay connected. I write at lisaapelo.com, A-P-P-E-L-O, and I um, write on grief primarily. I have a lot of resources there. And um, then you could find me on Instagram also at, at Lisa Apollo. So I'd love to connect with you. Awesome. And we'll be sure that those links are included in the show notes for those listening who, who want to get connected with you. Well, that was a tremendous interview. I'm so encouraged by Lisa's insights, and I hope that you have received some comfort and encouragement as well. Before we let you go, I want to remind you to learn more about the Mental Hope Project by visiting my website, faithfulsparrow.com forward slash mental hope. You can check out the show notes there from today's episode, uh, complete with links to Lisa's profiles. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe and you'll be notified when new episodes release. And please don't keep the Mental Hope Project a secret. If you know someone who is walking through a season of grief, share this episode with them and help that person to find some encouragement in Christ. Oh, and one more final reminder, if you're looking for Christ-centered mental health resources, go to faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. The link is in the show description, and you can learn all about the curated resources I share on a weekly basis on rotating mental health topics. From videos, audios, articles, and original devotions, these resources are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help for mental health in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Mental Hope Project podcast.